2 Kings chapter 3. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned for 12 years. He did what was evil in Yahweh's sight, but not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he held to the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel to sin. He didn't depart from them. Now Mesha, the king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he supplied the king of Israel with the wool of a 100,000 lambs and of 100,000 rams. But when Ahab was dead, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. He went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me against Moab to battle? He said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. He said, Which way shall we go up? He answered, The way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched for seven days along a circuitous route. There was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. The king of Israel said, Alas, for Yahweh has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Isn't there a prophet of Yahweh here that we may inquire of Yahweh by him? One of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who poured water on the hands of Elijah, is here. Jehoshaphat said, Yahweh's word is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Eden, Edom, went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father or to the prophets of your mother. The king of Israel said to him, No, for Yahweh has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Elisha said, As Yahweh of armies lives, before whom I stand, surely, were it not that I respect the presence of Jehoshaphat the king of Judah, I would not look toward you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. When the musician played, Yahweh's hand came on him. He said, Yahweh says, Make this valley full of trenches. For Yahweh says, You will not see wind, neither will you see rain. Yet that valley will be filled with water and you will drink, both you and your livestock and your other animals. This is an easy thing in Yahweh's sight. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. You shall strike every fortified city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop all springs of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. In the morning, about the time of offering the sacrifice, behold, water came by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. Now when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, they gathered themselves together, all who were able to put on armour, young and old, and stood on the border. They rose up early in the morning, and the sun shone on the water, and the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. They said, This is blood! The kings are surely destroyed, and they have struck each other. Now therefore, Moab to the plunder. When they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and struck the Moabites, so that they fled before them, and they went forward into the land, attacking the Moabites. They beat down the cities, and on every good piece of land each man cast his stone and filled it. They also stopped all the springs of water, and cut down all the good trees, 
until in Ker Haraseth all they left was its stones. However, the men armed with slings went around it and attacked it. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was too severe for him, he took with him 700 men who drew a sword to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his oldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. There was great wrath against Israel, and they departed from him and returned to their own land. Interesting chapter, as usual. <laughs> so at the start of this chapter, it's the new king of Israel, Jehoram. So Jehoram is the ninth king of Israel, and he's the fourth king of the fourth dynasty, and he is the brother of the last king. So Ahab uh, is his father. Ahab had a son, Ahaziah. Ahaziah fell through the lattice and died and only lasted two years, and his brother Jehoram is the king. So, king number nine. They decide to attack Moab because Moab was paying tribute but stopped. So there's an alliance of the king of Israel, Jehoram, the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom, which is over here. And the king of it, the three of them go to attack Moab, but they get in the desert because they go through a circuitous circuit, circuit, anyway, a route via a circuit, <laughs> however you say that, through the desert, and they run out of water. Now, um, they inquire of the Lord, and the Lord says, you shall not see rain, nor shall you see, you know, a storm or wind, whatever, but you shall, the water shall come. That's pretty cool. Um, so basically, it rained somewhere else, and then the water has flowed through the desert. What you've got there is called flash flooding. And uh, it's, it's a miracle. It's a complete miracle, but it's also something that does happen sometimes in the desert, and the Lord caused it to happen. He said it would happen, and he caused it to happen. In California, there's a, uh, the California Science Center, I think it's called, and they have a whole section there on flash flooding. I've taken... Uh, my wife and I have been there a few times. We took our children there last time we were there, 2015. It's pretty cool, this section with the flash flooding. You go through and you're in this like little desert area and um, they've got all of a sudden the amount of water that rushes through there is incredible. <laughs> it's, it's set up to run on like a 15 or a 20 minute schedule. And you read these signs about flash flooding in the desert and all of a sudden the amount of water that goes through there is unbelievable. <laughs> it surprises you. So that's what's happened here. The Lord had said, you know, you will not see the rain, but the water will come. And so they had to dig trenches and they dig the trenches. And then when the flash floods run through the desert, it fills up the trenches and they have way enough water. And so the battle begins with Moab and they are, they're defeating Moab and they're doing all the things the Lord has said. They defeat the, the, the cities, they're winning the battle. They're, defeating the enemies, they're throwing stones on the paddocks, they're stopping up the springs, they're having a great victory, as the Lord said. But right at the end, it said that the king of Moab, this is Misha, he sacrificed his son on the wall, and there was great wrath against Israel, and Israel uh, stopped its attack and returned home. So this is really interesting, because if you, if you didn't know that this was a fact and you just read this in the Bible, you know, if it was me, I would believe it because I trust the Lord. I've seen the Lord uh, be proven so many times. You can read something that sounds really odd, like the king sacrificed his son on the wall and there was great wrath and they returned. It's very spiritual. But a lot of people would just, um, they, they kind of uh, symbolize it or allegorize it away, and including 
all the commentators I read, now I only read a few, but all of the ones I read, they all said that, uh, you know, the sacrifice, this is what one of them said, the sacrifice of King Misha on the wall inspired his troops to, to press in harder and it terrified the Israelites so they ran away. Well, he's just trying to make up some kind of natural sounding explanation, but what happened was something spiritual took place because of a human sacrifice. Now, the reason I said that if it wasn't proven fact um, was because it has been proven fact. So in the 1800s, I'm just trying to remember when it was, it was like 1860 or something, like it was quite a long time ago, there was a discovery of what's called the Misha steel. So a steel is like a stone tablet, and Misha is the king here of Moab. They discovered what's called the Misha steel, and it's actually an entire report of this battle from the Moabites' perspective. So the Moabites, this is King Misha, he had this whole battle written down and a report, and it's just like pretty much exactly the same as the Bible, but from the other side of the battle's perspective. And in that battle, he reports how the Israelites were coming against them and how they were, you know, being defeated, but how he sacrificed his son on the wall <laughs> and how then they drove them away. It's incredible. So we've got like independent archaeological evidence and that Misha steel, just looking at my notes here, it says it was discovered in the 1860s and it's been in the Louvre Museum in Paris since the 1870s. And I think there's a copy of it in Jordan. They used to make copies of them with clay and um, so you can go to Jordan in one of the museums in Jordan and see what it looked like, but the actual, the original one is in the museum in France, the Louvre. So this is the Misha steel, and you can Google it. The Misha steel is written in a, the, the same script that we have with the old, old Bible. So the Hebrew that you're used to seeing, which looks is what they call a square script, where everything is like in square shapes, that's not the alphabet, it's, it's the same language, but it's not the same alphabet that the Bible was originally written in. The Bible was originally written in a Paleo-Hebrew, like an older Hebrew alphabet, which was very much like the Phoenician alphabet. When you're in school, if you're my age anyway, you might have seen the Phoenician alphabet and they would have told you that this is the world's oldest alphabet. I'm not sure that that's still true. I think they've now discovered an older alphabet, um, an Egyptian one, but this same alphabet is pretty much what this Misha steel is written in. There's the old Phoenician Paleo-Hebrew style alphabet. They were very, very similar. So the beauty of it was they were able to read it. It wasn't complicated to read because it's something that's known about. So on here, they're able to verify that the Bible story and the story from the Moabites, they match as, it's amazing how often archeology span and the Bible matches. And in the times it doesn't match, it's usually because there's no archeology span and people just don't believe the Bible. So this story ends with a human sacrifice and then because of that it says there was great wrath against Israel and they would turn back and they went home. So there in one sentence is uh, a spiritual effect. Now, can you think of anywhere else in the Bible where there was a human sacrifice where there was a huge spiritual effect? Yep, it's the, it's the greater blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a human sacrifice given for us, but there's a big difference. The sacrifice of Jesus was, first of all, a perfect human. Whereas all other human sacrifices, whether they're intentional or unintentional, they're all people who are sinners. So there's a spiritual effect when you sacrifice something, but when the Lord of, the Lord of all, the King of glory, God himself, 
a perfect, the, the only perfect human was sacrificed, there's a huge spiritual effect. And without it, we wouldn't even be saved. So what we got here is this little story of how with one human sacrifice that was an imperfect one, it brought an end to a battle. And well, but, but we've got a picture of Jesus Christ, the perfect human sacrifice, bringing an end to the battle with Satan once and for all. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And so um, when I read this type of thing, I, I see it in a spiritual way. I think the spiritual effects of sacrifices are real. Now, thank God we don't have to do human sacrifices anymore. When um, St. Patrick went to Ireland as a missionary in you know, the 400s, um, the pagan Druids, they were worshipping you know, the forest, worshipping nature, the moon, and they were making human sacrifices. But St. Patrick taught them you don't have to offer humans as sacrifices because Jesus Christ has offered his life once and for all, the ultimate human sacrifice. There needs to be no more human sacrifices. Thank God for that. <laughs> so uh, we've got the, the better blood, the book of Hebrews says, and we can rest in that. So Lord, I thank you that right here in the book of 2 Kings is, weirdly enough, a demonstration of the power that comes from the, the sacrifice of the Son of God on our behalf, putting an end to the battle and defeating the power of Satan. And Father, I want to thank you that we have been the beneficiaries of such a wonderful thing. We rejoice in our salvation. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.